Today I'm going to be speaking out of Matthew 7, 1 through 5. And this is a scripture that I think a lot of people are already very familiar with, but today I want to look at a new understanding of judgment. In Matthew 7, 1 through 5, it says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. At first glance, this is a very simple scripture. But when you get to reading it, like all scripture, it is extremely complex, and you can continue to trace back to other scriptures. And in researching this scripture, you would need to bounce from Old Testament to New Testament, from the Gospels to Revelation all the way to Genesis. There is so much that you need to pick up to really, truly understand this message. On a surface level, it is a call not to judge. But deep within, there is so much more than that. But first, we must understand the true definition of judgment. Now, there are two definitions of judgment that we use commonly in the Bible and in the real world. Definition one is the ability to judge and make a decision or form an objective opinion. That is a very common way that we use the word judge or judgment in our everyday life. But today I want to tell you about a second, a law-based definition, a judicial decision given by a judge or court. So for, for helpfulness here, I'm going to say that telling your brother it's wrong to drink and drive falls under definition one. That's a judgment call you can make. Now, definition two would be a judge telling your brother he's got to go to jail because he got caught drinking and driving. They're similar, but there is a stark difference in the two. And I want to start with definition one, because when we truly understand the differences in the way the word judgment is used, we can reread this scripture and see beyond just the call not to judge others. In definition one, you have to know that not paying attention to things you don't like is not the opposite of judgment. Let's just start there. I want to get that from the top. That is not the opposite of judgment. Compassion is. When everybody says that you can look around and you can ignore people's mistakes, that's not not judging them. That's just ignoring their problems, and there's a vast and stark difference. The Bible does not teach us that it is wrong to do example one. You can make judgment calls. You can form opinions and have objective ideas. In Galatians 6.1, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. This scripture cannot be true unless we are allowed to make the judgment call that there has been a transgression. This is a call to tell you that you are allowed to make judgment calls. We are called to recognize and identify sinful behavior. This is not a free pass to condemn people, however. 
It is merely your calling to recognize harmful, sinful behavior. It is a commitment to help people conquer their sin. Now, how do we help people conquer their sin? This is where I'm talking about you have to go from one scripture to the next, and you bounce around from Old Testament to New. I'm going to give you an easy way. You can do your own research, and I, I hope that you do, but I'm going to give you an easy way to know how we do that. How do we help without condemnation? We do that by bringing them to Jesus, offering earthly advice and spiritual advice from a place of love. Love is the difference between definition one and definition two. Act in love and only in love. You know, a, a while back, um, we had a, a guest speaker, Rico Holland. I'm sure you guys remember him. He's a great speaker and a, a good friend of mine. And we met uh, in front of a yogurt shop one day. And we were outside talking, and we got to talking about his back and my back, and we shared bad back stories. Well, right beside us was a uh, chiropractic center that he goes to frequently. And he said, hey, you ought to go in there. They're pretty cheap, and you can get some good work from them. Uh, and sometimes I just come by when I have extra money, and it gives me a boost. And that there is a prime example of how you live in love and help someone with a hurting problem. He told me, he recognized, he said to me, I see you have a back issue. You can say, I see you are suffering with sin. It's the same thing. I wasn't offended when Rico told me my back hurt. It was obvious. It's obvious when I walk. Sin is the same way. He offered helpful advice from a place of love. You can do that with sin. That is a prime example that we do that with other people all the time with financial advice with physical advice, with emotional advice, spiritual advice against sin should not be any different. Another example of that is that when Jesus stops the woman from being stoned, an interesting thing to think about is he didn't ignore her sin, nor did he tell the others they shouldn't notice it. He merely told them it's not their place to condemn her. He didn't say, hey, 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 hey. Listen, it's not your place to say that that's sinful. He said it's not your place to condemn her. He, without sin, can cast the first stone. He did not stop them from the recognition of her sinful and harmful behavior, nor did he not recognize her sinful and harmful behavior. It was the first thing he contacted her with, recognition of her sinful and harmful behavior. But what Jesus did is what we should do, is he interacted after every moment from then from a place of love and compassion to help her go beyond her sin. And sometimes you might be on the other side of that. And you often should be on the other side of that. A good working church should have interaction between the two. Somebody saying, hey, I understand that you've been having some problems with anger issues. You might be called out. You might be on the other side. It's not always you getting to make that judgment call. Other people may make a judgment call about your sinful and harmful behavior, and you have to be okay with that because they are called to do that, just like you are called to do that. So don't try to hide behind the only God can judge me defense. Because in definition two, I'm going to tell you what that really truly means. If you're saying only God can judge me because people are telling you you're doing something sinful and wrong, but they're not condemning you, you are wrong. That is their call. They are called to make that decision. And they can form that objective opinion. That is not what only God can judge me means. 
I'd like to sum up this definition with this. Making a judgment call on what is sinful and or harmful behavior is your responsibility, but it must come from gentleness and love. Otherwise, you have begun sinning yourself. So now let's go to definition two, the one based in the law. Well, if definition two is that it's a punishment or a, or a decision made by a judge, who is the judge? I'm going to give you a sneak peek. It's not you. You are not the judge. God is. Psalms 56. And the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Psalm 76, 8 through 9. You caused judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still when God arose to judgment to save the humble of the earth. Isaiah 33, 22. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Do I need to find more, or is it evident already that God is the judge? It is not your role to condemn or punish other people for their sins. That is God's role. And when you play God's role, you do it poorly and you confuse people and you create bitterness that leads to people leaving churches. That's why God does it, because he can always do it with love. We often fail the love part. What separates you from the world is God's grace, not your behavior. We live under the grace covenant, the life and death of Jesus Christ, and the acceptance of that is what separates you from the punishment of sin. That is it. It is not your good behavior. So you can't come from a place above and tell somebody that they're doing something wrong because you're not the one that's got you in the higher seats. That is Christ's blood that he shed for you. We stand on the cross. We are elevated by the rolled away stone. This means you don't get to exclude people from faith based on their sins. Because you don't like someone's sins doesn't mean you get to close their door. You too fall short of the glory of God. You just live under the grace that Jesus Christ bought you. You are not worthy of the gavel you are trying to swing. When we make judgment calls, we often do look silly. And that's fine. Part of definition one is that sometimes you may be wrong. And that's why you don't get the authority to be in judgment too. Because your calls aren't always the right calls. You're not Judge Judy. You're not Judge Brown. Judge Brown. You're not Lauren Lake or Judge Mathis or Lynn Toller. You're not even Uncle Phil. Yes, he became a lawyer in season three. Watch the rest of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. In other words, you are not qualified to make a judgment. That takes years of experience. You know what I would do if I walked into a courtroom and saw my brother sitting in the throne? I would leave. I've, been, I've gone to the wrong spot. My brother has never gone through a lawyer's life. My brother is a good man, a hardworking man, but he's not a judge. He doesn't have that experience. That is the same for each and every one of you and I. We do not get to sit in the throne of a judge. We are in the audience watching the judge make the calls. Now, when we look at this and we say judgment, what am I saying to you when I say now you can't make a law-based judgment? What I'm saying is you don't get to punish people for their sins. You have to live with them. You have to love them. You have to interact with them. And what is the biggest judgment that we make as Christians? It is often a lack of love. We take people's sin and we say, nah, 
I'm going to keep you over here. I don't love you as much as I should anymore. That's wrong. That's sinful. Anytime you make a decision that is not love, you are sinful. You don't get to disqualify people from God's love. You don't even get to disqualify people from your own love. God's love is not yours to give out. He's given it to everyone, whether you like it or not. But at the same time, that love that rescued you has now called you to give love to other people, whether you like it or not. Everyone deserves to hear about the goodness of God. Every single person. I don't care who they are or what they've done. They deserve to hear about the goodness of God. They deserve to hear about that. It is sinful to love people differently based solely on their sin. God's table has a seat for everyone. Why is your household any different? And this next section here that I'm about to say, there might be some people upset with what I'm saying on both sides, but I don't care because I'm calling you to love other people. Make a seat at your table for straight white Republicans and a seat at your table for non-binary, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered, queer people. And if they're Democrats, love them both equally and compassionately. You do not get to look at the identifiers the world has put on other people and decide that they are sinning because of that and then exclude them from your life because you think they're sinning. That is not how the Bible works. That is not how scripture works. Make a seat at your table for everyone. Serve them equally. Love them equally. Respect them equally. Now, this is a challenge for my generation. Because what I want you to know is it doesn't mean you accept everything. And I'll get to that in a minute. But I want to call us all to stop generational hate. Stop telling the old people that they're doing something wrong. And old people, stop telling the next generation below you that they suck. Okay? Let's be real. We all have fallen short of the glory of God, and no generation has done Christianity better than one another. We have all fallen short. Stop racial hate and division. Stop political hate. Stop all hate. If you find yourself in a vitriolic, hateful mood, get away from that attitude. It is causing you to sin. Don't get caught up in the messy rhetoric, the hateful rhetoric that says, I just can't support their lifestyle. I don't hate them, but I can't support them. The call to love everyone supersedes that. And you can't love people you're pushing away. That call to love people overrides every opinion you have. Every single opinion you have. Now, loving them does not mean an acceptance of all of their behavior. It does, however, mean you handle your disagreements with their behavior with care and dignity and an aim to create peace and unity, never letting your differences brew into hate, having every interaction with them lead to a possibility of acceptance of Christ or a newfound relationship with the Father. That is what that means. No, you do not have to accept if you have a coworker who's on the job drunk. You don't have to accept that, but you do have to interact with them with love. Don't push them away. God didn't push you away. Jesus didn't push you away. And Jesus got on the cross and died for you. Now he's just asking you to be nice to people. If he can get on the cross and die for people he knows have wronged him, we can go to work and be nice to people. It's not that big of a difference. It's not that hard. To summarize this chapter, 
You are not qualified to condemn or punish anyone, excluding them from love. God is the only judge, and we all fall short of his glory. In closing, I want to reread this scripture. Knowing now what we know, that judgment is the act of punishing someone or condemning them. Knowing now that we are called to make observations and form opinions about sin in order to help one another succeed. Knowing now that love is the answer to how we stay away from being judgmental. And knowing now that the acceptance of Christ is how we best help ourselves and others conquer sin. Let's look at this scripture again and see if we see something different now. Do not judge or you too will be judged. That's definition two. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. If you push others away, you might find distance from God. Woo. Think about that. If you aren't willing to give to others based on their sin, the rain of blessings in your life may dry out. You will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Be kind. Be kind. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? We all fall short of the glory of God. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It is not good enough to not be judgmental. We also have to help change lives. We also look at this scripture now and see beyond the idea that it is not right for you to punish people for their sins. We should now see there is a call to help people conquer their sins. But every good scripture reader knows this. You would be running around constantly pulling planks out of your own eye if you are in charge of whether or not you got the plank out of your eye. You're not good enough to remove the sin out of your life. So how do we do it? What is that last part asking you? It's telling you, find proximity to Christ. Get as close to him as possible, as close to God as possible. And then when you're that close and God has removed the plank out of your eye, reach out to others and say, look, I see you struggling. I see that that speck of sawdust in your eye is giving you trouble. My wife can tell you I'm a big old sissy about my eye. And I know everybody here, if they had something in their eye, they'd be freaking out. And that's the way it works. That speck of sawdust is like sin. People are running around in circles wondering, why is my life so full of panic and hate and anxiety? Why can't I get on top of life? Why am I always struggling? It's that sin that's stuck in your eye. And we as good Christians who have proximity to Christ should reach over. And instead of saying, well, if you'd stop doing X, Y, and Z, and instead reaching out and saying, come follow me to the Savior. I found the one who helped me. My final two thoughts are this. It is not our job to enact punishment for other people's sin, especially while we are still dealing with our own. And it is, however, our job to help people save themselves from the cost of their sin by bringing them to Christ through love and compassion. Read this scripture over in the week. Over and over again and remind yourself that you are called to form opinions about sin. And use those opinions to help people remove harmful things from their life. Your opinions that you form are not the way you decide who and is not worthy of your love. It is how you decide who needs Christ desperately. 
And the answer is every single person. Let's read it one more time. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured against you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Thank you, Father God, for the opportunity to speak your word today. We ask you, God, that you take this message and, and show us at times when we're being too judgmental, when we're starting to enact punishment on people, when we venture into condemnation, when we're telling people more about going to hell than we are telling them about the one who sits on the throne, that you correct us when we need correcting, and you give us a spirit that allows us to be corrected when we're making mistakes. That we see clearly how to, enact, how to act with others, with love and only love. That we all could do this together. And no, we're not able to conquer sin, but we'll, we'll be able as a group to better live with sin. To less often fall into temptation. And to more often fall to your feet. That we would find deep, pure proximity to you, Christ. That we ask that we're so close to you, God, that anything other than love feels like a poison on our tongue. And your precious and holy name draws so near to us. Amen. Thank you all. You're dismissed.